Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-founder, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast, The Kevin and Fred Show, where once a week we bring to you a expert interview every single Monday. We interview one of the brightest and best in the world, usually in, in the real estate space, sometimes in technology, sometimes in entrepreneurship, sometimes just in forward thinking. The things that are going to help us learn to move forward are the things that we're interested in bringing to you on this podcast. So we don't keep it limited to just real estate agents. And I think you'll find that really valuable if you've been listening or if you're a new listener, all in the same. We also bring you once a week something we call industry headlines, which is a look at what is going on in the real estate world, what's happening in the mortgage space, what's happening in the technology space, bring that to you in a short form 10, 15 minute podcast at the most once a week on Wednesdays. We're also a proud member of the industry syndicate family of real estate and mortgage podcasts. Check out that app in the app store. Again, that's industry syndicate. And if you would, please do us a favor, please, please, please leave us a review, download, subscribe, share an episode with a friend. We would love it. There is no better way to say thank you, except for maybe a real estate referral, because we are, after all, real estate agents, and we love real estate referrals. We're based in the Phoenix area and would love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in to The Kevin and Fred Show. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kevin Kaufman. Welcome back to another episode of the Kevin and Fred Show. This is a very special episode. In fact, it's one of four parts. Adam and I had this really crazy long and in-depth conversation. And um, the first part is we're we're just breaking this out into four parts, right? We're going to talk about what is going on in the world today, all of the different things um, that are happening and how it's actually totally understandable. We get into how not to be stupid, which, uh, side note, is the name of one of his books that is coming out uh, hopefully soon, how to stay out of the stupid zone, how we're basically all prone to it. And then in the last section or the last part of this interview, we actually get into investing and global equities and securities. And the thing is, Adam knows the stuff. I mean, he's literally friends with people like Warren Buffett. As I mentioned, he advises the head of hedge funds. Um, The guy knows the stuff. He sees the world through a different lens than most everybody else. And I personally, I'm so thankful to have had the chance to sit down and talk with him um, for about four hours. So that's why we broke this out into many different episodes. So I hope you enjoy it. I know I got a lot, a lot out of it without further ado, I'll stop and present to you, Mr. Adam Robinson. Maybe, maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but, um, I would like to transition into how not to be stupid if we could. And it feels like such an appropriate time when we're talking about, um, the fact that models of the world that like we can no longer look backwards to figure out what's going to happen. And so I naturally went to, okay, then I've got to make sure I'm not stupid. Uh, and to the point of how Adam, you, I mean, you wrote a book on this and I can't wait to get my hands on it personally called how not to be stupid. Yeah. So 
So it's such a, mm, it's just so, um, so yes, yeah, so, so wait, so this is, this is the book, How Not To Be Stupid. It's not out yet. Um, and in fact, I have to, I have to edit a couple of chapters in here. Um, and Buffett endorsed it. He said, um, there. Yeah. Loaded with, How Not To Be Stupid is Loaded With Good Ideas and Appropriate Warnings by Warren right. Buffett. Yeah. He's, he carries some weight when he says things like that. Yeah, and because he doesn't endorse things. Like, like lifelong policy against endorsing, but he said, this is really important. And uh, so stupidity, what is stupidity? And uh, it's important in the world. It sounds like, like how are we shifting from things that don't make sense to stupidity? And, um, but it's, all of these are related topics. We're gonna keep circling back to them. And so how not to be stupid. So um, again, it's not out yet, but, um, I define stupidity as overlooking or dismissing conspicuously crucial information. So overlooking or dismissing conspicuously crucial information. So, so it's, I want to like deconstruct that. It took me a month to come up with that definition. Because stupidity is not the opposite of intelligence. It's, it's actually the cost of intelligence um, operating in certain environments. And, and so overlooking or dismissing conspicuously crucial information. So there's some information about the world that you need to know, Kevin, or anyone. It's crucial information, so you, you got to pay attention to it. And it's conspicuous, it's like right in front of you. So this information is really important. It's right in front of you, it's conspicuous. Or it's, you have access to it very easily. And, and you either overlook it, you don't notice it, it's right in front of you, your face and you don't see it, or you dismiss it and you go, whatever. And um, when certain factors are present, you're, you enter, you, Kevin, and me, Adam, and even Albert Einstein, even Warren Buffett. When certain factors are present, you enter what I call the stupid zone. And I don't care how smart you are. Once you enter the stupid zone, you're going to be doing stupid things. And, and, I'm, so, and I, I say that we're going to talk about the factors that put you in there. And once you're in there, you were literally blind to crucial information. And this is so important. When someone is literally blind, when they're literally blind, um, someone who is like legally blind, they know not to go running down the street because they can't see. And they know to walk slowly with a cane, right? Proceed with caution. And they know that they're blind. So they know the world is full of dangers and they proceed slowly. But when you're in the stupid zone, you're not aware that you're blind. So you don't proceed slowly, not at all. And um, you know, uh, the factors of stupidity are, um, these are the seven factors 
that puts you in the stupid zone. Mind you, you don't need all seven. You don't need all seven. Any one of them is, it is, makes you more likely to be in the stupid zone. Any two or three, you're in the stupid zone and you're gonna do something stupid. So these are the seven factors. Um, and by the way, as I list them, check them off and see which ones are present in the world right now, okay? One, being outside your normal environment. Check. Yep. Two, um, being physically or emotionally compromised, like you're tired or you're stressed. Check. Three, um, having a sense of urgency. Check. Check. Four, being in the presence of an authority. Ooh. Check, 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 check. Uh, by the way, authorities might be um, political leaders or police. They're, they're authorities, right? Um, so are doctors, right? Um, uh, authorities, uh, uh, authority figures. Um, five, being in the presence of large groups, doing the same thing. Check. Wow. Uh, uh, Worth but, noting, we're recording this while riot and riots and uh, yeah, yeah. stuff, crazy stuff is going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, I don't want to lose my train of thought here. So six is, hold on, I've just lost my train of thought. Give me a sec. Now. Sorry about that. Um, oh, anything that requires um, uh, an intense amount of focus. You're focused on or preoccupied with something. Six, check. Check, check. Uh, and seven is um, information overload. Now, by the way, any two of those, you're in trouble. Three, you're like sunk. And all seven, now, I'm going to quantify this. All seven factors are present every day in hospitals. Every day, hospitals have each one of those factors. And in the United States last year, <clears throat> depending on the estimate, <clears throat> between 210 and 440,000 Americans died last year in hospitals from error. I'm not talking about they went in with some emergency issue and we couldn't save them. I mean, they went in for some routine thing and they didn't come out. Again, the current estimate, you have to let that land, is roughly every day last year, 100 people died. My bad, 1,000 people died in US hospitals every day from error, right? You went in with a broken arm and oops, you didn't come out. And, and, uh, and, and I say that, that's in normal times. Now imagine what's the error rate in hospitals, the stupidity, when, when things are even more amped up, right? Like right now, each one of those factors is present. And, and the problem is, when you're in the stupid zone, don't do anything. Right, if you're blind, don't go running down the street. Don't drive a car, please. You're blind. 
you're going to get into an accident. Now, when you, um, if you look at a typical medicine bottle, the warning label, it says warning, uh, this medication may um, affect your physical or cognitive functioning. Um, if affected, do not operate heavy machinery or, or drive, right? Sort of stock thing, right? Warning, this might mess you up a little bit. Don't uh, operate heavy machinery or drive. I'll tell you something. That's the dumbest label in the world for several reasons. One, if you're compromised, you won't be aware of it. It's not like you're going to take the medication and go, oh, wait a second. I'm a little woozy now. I better not drive. No. Most people, and they've done multiple studies on this, um, even that, that have those bottles at home don't realize that they're being caught and they're consuming it. They're not aware that they're, they're, they're physical and, and, uh, and, uh, and cognitive function is compromised. And so um, um, really, if you shouldn't, if, if you take medication and, and it's messed you up a little bit and you shouldn't drive a car, there are a lot of other things you shouldn't do. Don't go hang gliding, right? Don't, don't operate the, the barbecue because you might burn yourself to death. Don't sign a contract because if you're physically, right, if, you're, if, you're cognitive, if that medication, this is a, a metaphorical experiment, but if I consume something and I shouldn't be driving a car or operating heavy machinery, there's a, a gazillion other things I shouldn't be doing. Don't, don't tweet. Don't, don't post a photograph on Instagram. Don't write an angry letter to your boss or your investors. Don't, don't get married. Don't, don't take out a loan. There are a million things you shouldn't do. Again, in the hypothetical, the medicine bottle, right? Because we know, and we know that, right? Oh man, I'm feeling a little woozy. I better lie down. Yeah, but in everyday life, we're just as compromised. And we, but the thing is, we're not aware of it. So let me ask you a question, Kevin. Just okay. have you ever pulled an all-nighter? I have. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions. So don't like don't try to game this. That's just like we're a couple of guys talking here, and because uh, we've all pulled all-nighters, right? And uh, you know you're tired the next day, mm -hmm. right? Like let's say there's a presentation you got to give, right, or something. You pull an all-nighter, and uh, you know you're a little tired, um, but you also know like you can sort of. You just got to get through the next day, right? Okay. Um, would you feel that um, you, let's say you had to give a presentation at work, let's say. Okay. Or you had to go somewhere to do something important. Would you feel okay about uh, driving to work, say, just as an example? Like you pulled an all-nighter. Yeah, you'd feel okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, sure, Okay. Okay, I'm a little tired, but okay, I'm just driving to work, right? And uh, would you feel okay um, if you were, um, say, um, 
a doctor about doing an operation. By the way, remember, we all know doctors and especially inter, you know, residents, they have multiple all-nighter shifts. Yeah, um, I'll, you know, hearing one of my, my, one of my best friends is a, is a transplant surgeon and I've heard Dr. Um, Peter Atia talk about some of his stories from um, his residency days where certainly that decision was made. Oh, sure. They do it all the time. By the way, they cut back. Uh, they, uh, the medical, I forget which, like the name of the official medical association, maybe the AMA. And they said uh, they cut back the number of hours that doctors can work in hospitals to, I think, 80 hours a week or some like huge number. And I think you're allowed to work. I forget. You're allowed to do all-nighters. You are, but here's a, okay, so here's a fact you didn't realize. So we've all done all-nighters and the people listening, well, heck, we were in college, pulled an all-nighter, right? Okay, just got to tough it out the next day. You're a little tired, but okay, I'll get through the day. You have the, the reflexes and the motor control of someone who's legally drunk. You got to let that land. If you've pulled an all-nighter, your reflexes, Say when you're driving a car, your reflexes and your motor control are equivalent to that of someone who's legally drunk. Now, if I said, hey, Kev, you're legally drunk, would you drive to work? You'd say, no, I wouldn't, no. Adam. That would be stupid. Yeah, but you pull an all-nighter and you do that, you're actually in just as much danger. And people don't realize it because we're not, we know, okay, I'm a little tired, but what the heck? I'm not, not that bad off. You are. You're way worse than you think. Now, individually, the, as individuals, the odds that we're going to get into an accident on any given day are minuscule. So even if we're compromised and like there are a lot of drunk people, they don't all get into accidents. Most of them luckily avoid them. And luckily sometimes because other people around them aren't drunk, thank goodness, and they avoid the accidents. Like, whoa, get, like, what was that guy doing? And so, um, but when we pull all-nighters, we're not aware. And so the, that's the problem is that when we're in the stupid zone, we're way worse off than we realize. And you can't, and there's no way to tell. You're just in the stupid zone. And again, to go back to the example of the, the, the medicine label, don't operate heavy machinery or drive or go hang gliding, don't climb ladders, don't, don't sign contracts, don't do anything in public you might regret. Um, don't, don't, um, don't do a lot of things. Be careful around knives. Don't go near an open window if you're above the second floor. Um, there are a lot of things you gotta, you shouldn't be doing. Life is full of dangers, but if you're in the stupid zone, you won't be aware of it. Now, we did that checklist at the beginning. We're all in the stupid zone. Like as a as a globe, we're in the stupid zone. Yeah. And so, so guaranteed 
just like a blind person, proceed slowly. Don't, whoa. And in fact, it, maybe there's a guide dog. I'm using this, it's a metaphor, but it's actually true. Someone who's blind knows, proceed slowly, get some help. If I'm crossing a street, maybe someone's around, could you help me cross the street? Um, our corporate and political leaders, and this, I'm not, I'm agnostic here. I'm not making a political statement. This is not everybody, police, individuals, doesn't matter. We're all in the stupid zone. And literally, we are doing stupid things. And I, okay, what does that mean? I, I'll give you an example um, of how st stupidity, here's an example. Um, the world's most tragic aviation disaster occurred in 1977. And in this particular uh, disaster, 577, wait, 576 people died when two planes collided. Kevin, without thinking, where do planes collide? I'm asking you. It's real simple. In the air. Yeah. Now, these two planes collided on the ground. And nearly 600 people died. Wait, collided in the day. Not at night, during the day. So two planes collided at an airport during the day. 600 people, 600 souls gone. Jeez. And all seven factors were present. Now, here's the thing, like driving in a street in traffic, we can understand, oh, ding, we, can, we, we get the idea of car accidents. But how the heck do two planes collide? I mean, after all, an airport, there aren't, it's not like there's tons of them. How do two planes smack so hard they explode into flames when you're in the stupid zone? And I, I don't want to like go into it, it's 1977, if anyone's curious, it's just the Tenerife disaster. And two planes collided on the ground. And, and in the book, I, I deconstruct it, you know, and all seven factors were present. And, and in today's world, this is really important. And I'm gonna talk about, actually I'm gonna, about the, the tragic death of, of, um, Mr. George and, um, you know, at the police. Yeah. And, and I, here's the thing, you know, there are lots of questions I have around that. And one, leaving, I'm gonna leave the police officers aside for a second. Okay. And just talk about the people around how is it possible that people were filming a murder? Because that's what went on. That's what happened. That's what happened. They were filming a murder. And, and, and that to me is, so there, evidently, I'm not, I'm not blaming this person, but there was a, a one brave uh, EMT worker and she told the police he's, he's suffocating. But here's the thing. And I, again, I'm, I'm armchair quarterbacking here, but 
let's say there weren't police. Let's say there weren't police. Let's leave them aside. I'm saying this so we understand cognitively and emotionally as animals what happens when, the, when we're in the stupid zone. Is that if someone were suffocating and an, you know, a, a trained medical um, uh, expert, right? Emergency medical workers, they're, they deal with this kind of life and death stuff all the time. And I saw someone suffocating, no one would walk by and go, oh, that person's suffocating, right? Now imagine that someone's actually doing the suffocating. And here's my question. And by the way, this is, I am not in any way, it was very brave of her to actually tell the police officers he's suffocating. Took a lot of courage to do that. But they're doing nothing. So I'm, I'm, again, this is easy for us to do after the fact. Right. Not critiquing her whatsoever. It took a lot of courage for her to say that. But if someone's suffocating and the, nothing's happening and she's seeing no behavior change in the police, I don't understand why she didn't turn to the crowd by the way, I do understand. But imagine a different scenario. She turns the crowd and go, he's being suffocated. Like he's dying. Right now, if we, these police officers, for whatever reason, they don't get it. We got to, can someone help me stop what's going on here? Now, obviously, if they weren't police officers, people, let's say, Somebody who wasn't a police officer was doing that. Definitely a crowd would have stopped it. Yep. This is so important to understand. Um, and I'm, but because they were police officers, people are afraid. And even if they didn't have guns and were afraid, oh, I might, like, they might, like, I might be in trouble. But even still, if, Again, I, I want to play thought experiments here. This is worth doing to understand the dynamics of stupidity. And I'm, I'm, I'm inviting the, your listeners to do the same thought experiment. Let's say there were a building burning. And we knew there was an individual right inside who was going to burn to death, die, if we didn't take action. Or actually, instead of burning buildings, let's say a burning car is about to explode into flames. That person is going to die unless we get the person out of harm's way. Not harm's way, out of death's way. We get that person out of death's way. And um, we would take action. Almost everyone would take action. Absolutely. Right? As, as, as a species, we've, we've been socialized and involved to like, protect those in danger, get them out it's of a, danger. It's an, it's an instinct. An instinct, absolutely an instinct. So the factors of stupidity override that instinct because as a species, one of the things about authority figures, as a species, we've evolved to defer to the alpha dogs. And, and so authority figures, doesn't matter who the authority is, we defer to the authority. By the way, same reason why we also defer to the group. Because we know as individuals, I can't see as much as the group can. 
So if the group's going, it's okay, then I'm okay with it. I better not do anything. There was a famous case in 1964 of Kitty Genovese. Do you know this uh, story? I don't. Okay, 1964, it's famous. Uh, famous in like sociology and psychology. Kitty Genovese, she was a 28-year-old woman coming home from uh, it was early evening, as I recall. And um, I'd say from the studies, not like I was around to, to watch this. Um, and, um, and she was murdered. And she was screaming for help. Outside, in front of her building, she was murdered. And um, I think it was like seven o'clock at night. Like it was not like, you know, two in the morning. And she died. Well, obviously she's murdered, but she was screaming for help and was, and died. No one came to her rescue. And this so horrified the American public. And especially uh, psychologists and sociologists, they said, why didn't anyone do anything? She was screaming, I'm being killed. No one did anything. And the best they could come up with is because, again, we look to social cues if you're in the presence of a group. Now, you'd say she was outside. By the way, it wasn't like people were in her, right around her, but they were still nearby. No one did a thing. And um, the best they can come up with the answer is that, is that because nobody did anything, like each individual in the group looked at all the other individuals and no one was doing anything. So nobody did anything. And, and I, so that, we now take that forward to, to what was going on in that, in that um, you know, that tragedy is someone was being um, murdered, someone was being suffocated. And there's no way someone with that, a, a knee on someone's neck, heck, we've all slept with a pillow a little and we've messed up our necks. Yeah. A knee on your neck with a, you know, a 200 pound guy, plus the, there were other officers who were also physically on his body. So you got to know that's not a good thing. And, and yet nobody did anything. But in the, in, again, the, this is stupidity at work. If you're in the presence of a group and everyone looks around and no one's doing anything, in fact, all people are doing is filming it. Oh, my God. Then that's your cue. Film it. Post it to Instagram. Are you kidding me? And, scary. It's really scary. That's the social cue. And so, but now, again, that someone, a medically trained person knew that person is suffocating. She was close enough to know and she, she had the courage to tell the police officers he's suffocating. But really, if I saw someone suffocating and I, I wouldn't just say he's suffocating, I'd scream, did you hear me? If you continue, he will die. And I, I don't, I'm sure she's blaming herself now. Like I, and, and she shouldn't. By the way, I'll give you another example. Let's take it away from that. Um, 
in, I think it was 2012, uh, there was an earthquake in Italy. And some geologists had predicted the earthquake. They said it, in this region, it's likely going to be an earthquake. And it was some small town, I forget the name right now, but there's some small town and um, like 150, no, sorry, so 313 people died. Some, you know, a lot of people, especially for that small town, like some, like a big number died and a lot injured and stuff. And the geologists were sued by um, Italian courts for murder. Whoa. Yeah. And not murder, but under some statute, they were like, that they should have done something and didn't. Like a manslaughter type. Exactly. And now they it got overturned, but the Italian government was arguing and suing them. You knew this was going to happen, but you didn't like sufficiently warn us. They did. They said, uh, there might be an earthquake. Might be an earthquake. And, um, um, and the Italian courts were saying, you didn't, like, you weren't sufficiently alarmist about it. <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, so now I'm going to jump forward to the Challenger disaster in 1986. And the Challenger disaster, uh, all seven factors of stupidity were present. And um, um, you live in uh, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty warm there. It is. It's pretty, it's pretty warm in, uh, in Florida, Cape Canaveral. Okay, and this flight took off in January. And um, in, in Cape, Florida's pretty warm, right? Even in the winter. Not this day. This day, um, overnight, it had gotten below freezing. And in Cape Canaveral, if you look, if people go online, you should do this. This is an important lesson. If you go online and you look at the Challenger disaster, look at photographs of the launch gantry the morning of the disaster, and it's caked in ice. So imagine, Kevin, being in Siberia in December and, you know, some equipment being caked in ice. Caked, right? That's what the launch gantry was in Cape Canaveral. So if you and I looked at that, if your daughters looked at that, at the equipment frozen, they'd say, dad, mm, that, that, it's not gonna work. And they still shot off. They, 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 they still launched the Challenger. And by the way, I'm going to give you an example of other warnings. Um, the, the booster rocket guys from Morton Theocall warned NASA. I'm going to talk, I'm going to underscore the word warned. Just like the, that EMT official said, uh, not uh, EMT worker said, um, he's suffocating. Okay, really, if I saw someone suffocating, I wouldn't stop with that. Like, I, I wouldn't stop there. Again, I'm not, I'm not blaming her because it's an emotionally charged situation. Right. But again, it's a thought experiment. It's important for us as individuals 
and also back for police office for everyone to go, wait a second, in a slightly different scenario, we would have done things very differently. And as a result, one man died and not just one man, the resulting like, like we're still dealing with that in the world right now. And, and so uh, the Morton Theocall um, worker, uh, uh, sorry, not workers, engineers said to NASA, we're, we recommend not launching today. Do not launch. The, the coldest it had ever gotten in Cape Canaveral prior to the Challenger disaster on a launch was 56 degrees. You know, kind of a cool spring day. Nowhere near freezing. Nowhere near freezing. And the, the um, now, by the way, so the Morton Theocall guys, they just said, we're, we're washing our hands of this. Like, nope, we recommend scrubbing the mission. Now, here's the thing. If you knew it was a serious risk, shame on them. Like, what? You just like, hey, if you guys want to go ahead, uh, we warned you. Um, they, they should have said, we are going to make a public statement against the launching of this rocket. Do not do so. Now, Morton Theocall, NASA was a big client of theirs. They, if we go public with this, we're going to lose them as a client. Yeah. Um, and... You know, the same thing happened. The same factors are present around the Boeing, that whole air, you know, uh, those two air disasters, the Boeing, uh, what is it, 737 MAX. When, that, when the first incident happened and the second, I warned people, Boeing, the culture that allowed that to happen, there are other things that are going to come out. Yep. And their stock has been in free fall since. And... Um, so stupidity, by the way, I'm t I've been talking about Challenger disaster and, and uh, um, you know. Uh, George Floyd. Yeah. Kitty, Kitty Genovese. These are factors that affect us all the time. And each of us as individuals, again, those factors, people can go back and I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll list them for people. And, and, um, they're present in our everyday lives right now. Each of us, each of us is in the stupid zone. We all, we're all outside our normal environment, each one of us, all dealing with physical and emotional compromise. I don't care how, like, we're all dealing with, with um, um, uh, we're all focused. Yeah. Dealing with authority, all seven factors. I don't have to list them all again. All seven factors are present. And so, when you're in the stupid zone, you know, that, that the, the, the Hippocratic oath, first, do no harm. And really, don't do anything that puts your, your health or your reputation or your wealth or that, that of your loved ones at risk. Do not right now, because you're in the stupid zone. And, and if you're in the stupid zone, don't do anything because you're going to be blind to one or more risks. And, um, and so 
you know, really right now, what, what our, our political and certainly our corporate leaders don't do anything, think things through. Like there's a, there's a rush right now, like that our leaders should be doing a lot. And so they're like randomly doing things to show that they're doing something. But, um, you know, again, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. Um, you can make things a lot worse. And, and, um, and that's, that's what's going on right now. As I, as I sit here talking to you, there's a helicopter um, flying overhead. And hold on a sec, I think. Okay. Yep, hold on. Oh, I, 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 am I going to take, because you're on my phone, but right down below me, is a march. Yeah. There's there's a protest going on right now. Yeah, right at, right right along here, Hollywood Boulevard, uh, boom, right in West Hollywood, and uh, very peaceful. People walking along slowly, um, and a helicopter flying overhead, and um, and I. I get that, you know, public, talk about doing stupid things. I, I am a fierce libertarian, individualist, like, and yet um, demonstrations in, in times like this, for sure something stupid is gonna happen. Yeah. And I'm gonna step back in time in 1970 there was an anti-war demonstration at a college. Oh, wow, there's a drone right outside my window. <laughs> I swear, I don't know if you can see that little teeny drone. Oh yeah, I see him. Well here, now that I gotcha, I'm gonna, wait, let's go outside, look. Oh wow, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's very peaceful, very slow. People walking along. And uh, they came by yesterday and they stopped like a, about a block where there's a helicopter up ahead. And um, so, so you got that. And, and um, so to go back to Kent State, um, sorry, Kent State, I said college, Kent State, before your time, um, College kids were just demonstrating. It was an anti-war demonstration. That's it. No overturning of cars, just a bunch of kids shouting, you know, various anti-war slogans. That's it, college kids. And, uh, and the National Guard was, was pulled in, I am sure, and we could do the research, but I'm sure the college president thought, oh, we gotta keep order calls in the National Guard and they have their guns out. Oh, and one of, the, one of the National Guard, the gun went off. Cause they're all nervous. Like, oh, the kids are demonstrating. They were doing nothing. One of the guns went off and all of a sudden gunshot and the other soldiers thought, uh, National Guard thought we're under fire. One of their own men shot the gun. And, and they started shooting indiscriminately into the crowd and four college students dead. By the way, four college students running away. 
not they weren't running towards the cops, sorry, the, the National Guard. They're running away. Wow. An entirely predictable consequence of being in the stupid zone. Remember before I said, um, uh, if you take, if the warning label says, you know, don't operate heavy machinery or drive, here's another thing, don't point guns at people. Yeah. And, and, um, cause again, an entirely, that's why Buffett endorsed my book. And, and, you know, he used a word, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's really important. He said, he said, this book is loaded with good ideas and appropriate warnings. And the problem with warnings is that no one pays attention to warnings. Not till after the fact. Not till after that. They go, oh, yeah. And, you know, it, with certain people, if you really believe something, like a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I warned people about that. I said this was going to happen. Well, if you really believed it, what did you do? And, and, um, and I, like, I know for a fact that, that given these factors, that's a, that's a stupid zone. That group down there is a stupid zone. And so at least, by the way, to their credit, they were there yesterday after curfew. And the police were res- like behind respect, like, like okay, we're not going to confront them. They just drive them behind to their credit. Like, okay, great. Because they now learned, uh-oh, like, even though it was after curfew and legal, it was an illegal demonstration. Um, but, you know, a friend of mine, um, a couple of nights ago, when the demonstrations first started in LA, she wanted to go, there was one at night. And I said, do not go. And she said, but I want to show my support for the victim. And I said, I understand that it's a powder keg and you just don't know what's going to happen. And, and uh, she said, uh, I know, but I really want to show my support. I'm going with some friends. I said, none of you should go. It's very dangerous. You can show support in other ways. And then the next day, she wanted to go to the, the, the demonstrations during the day. She said, that's much safer. I said, don't go. And she didn't. And there was looting and rioting and other stuff. And by the way, um, not, not as a result of the protesters, there was organized criminal behavior, like really freakily organized. Um, I know in New York, it's interesting, the criminals are organized. Yeah. To a freakish extent. In New York, during the demonstration, in New York, in Soho, I live in Tribeca. I haven't been there for months because I'm here just to wait this out. Um, and it's going to be a long wait. Um, there were organized criminals. There were teams with getaway vans, SUVs. Wasn't like, imagine like, like, you know, we see these uh, uh, bank robbery movies and it's, you know, a bunch of guys in one car. This was teams of cars wow. that had canvassed the most expensive stores in Soho, you know, Chanel. A Chanel bag, I don't know what it goes for, a couple thousand dollars or more. Like, like 
like snatch and grab in they were organized knowing that um that the police were going to be occupied with the with the demonstrators and uh and and by the way if you know that as a criminal you naturally want uh, you you would have confederates within the demonstrators stirring things up. Yeah. Get the police really agitated and preoccupied. Get Make sure everyone's in the stupid zone so we're free to do whatever we want to do. And um, so that's what's going on in this world. And um, so the stupid zone is a very... Um, Again, I go back to the Hippocratic Oath and first do no harm. And, um, you know, the thing about warnings is um, like no one pays attention to a warning. So you have to do something that, that actually stops behavior. You can't just say, I, this, like, like the, the, the more theocall engineers. Yeah, you can't just say, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't recommend it. Yeah. You actually have to say, I'm going to publicly state. I'm going to publicly this. state. By the way, I think one engineer did resign beforehand. He said, I think, I, I, I can't remember my, I seem to recall one engineer resigned before the thing. In other words, he said, um, no, I'm not doing it. But instead of resigning, okay, that's a nice statement internally, but let's just say you thought there was a 10% chance and I think that if you look at the if you look at the photographs of the launch gantry, and it wasn't that that set it off; it was something else. But you think, "Whoa, that's really cold." <laughs> Imagine what it's doing to the innards of the rocket. And if one little thing goes wrong, that's not good. And um, you think he would have just stopped and made a public statement: "Don't do it." Like, gotten I don't know, chained himself to the White House fence and said, "I'm here." I want to be interviewed. Um, don't fire the rocket. Mr. President, stop it. That's, I mean, first of all, that's, that's pretty deep um, or heavy, I should say. Um, and I think appropriate for considering all that is going on right now. You know, it's, it is so appropriate right now. There are people, and we see these things. We see, uh-oh, that's bad. And the instinct of many people is, pull out the phone, I'll record it. <laughs> no, don't record it, stop it. Yeah, say something. And say something, and if saying something doesn't stop it, like, again, that brave EMT worker, she did say something, but that didn't get a response. In fact, I think they shoot her away, like, like stop interfering in police business. Um, and, you know, this is, oh, this is, this, this is an interesting study. Um, they asked about warnings. Who pays the consequences? So um, they asked, this was a study done by the University of Texas, I think in like 2002. It's a fascinating study. And they asked several thousand airline uh, pilots, pilots, and several thousand uh, doctors and other technicians who work in operating rooms, that include anesthesiologists and so on, nurses and stuff. And um, sorry, no, not the nurses, the 
anesthesiologists and the doctors and, uh, and the pilots, they asked them 20 identical questions. They wanted to see is there a difference between the two, Just, which is fascinating. And, um, and I say identical questions, they would change the wording a little bit, you know, oper you know, operating room versus the cockpit, but it was identical questions. And they had it, I forget the countries involved, but it was like a, a, a good sampling of like seven different countries because they wanted to rule out, you know, cultural issues. And all the, the answers were roughly the same except for two questions. And these two questions blew my mind. So one of the questions was, hold on, I'm to make sure I get it right. Hold on. Uh, oh, um, if you are um, um, physically compromised, like you lack of sleep, um, are you um, able, do you feel able to um, operate, um, in, you know, operate a plane or operate on the, from the patient? And uh, three-fourths of pilots said, no. No, I do not. I don't feel, no. Because, um, by the way, a pilot who's physically compromised and makes a mistake, he goes down with the plane. He dies, too. He dies, too. Um, and now, even, I'm surprised even one in four said I'm okay, but the question was a little vague, right? Like, I feel tired, right? Something along those lines. I forget the exact wording of the question. Actually, I'll, I'll look it up right now. Actually, I got the book. <laughs> Let's see what the question that, is exactly. That is, that's convenient. It's very convenient. Uh, so the question was, oh, even when I am fatigued, I perform effectively during critical phases of operations. Even when I am fatigued, I perform effectively um, during critical phases of operations or patient care. Now, again, Fatigue, you know, I could be a little tired, you know, that's a little, but only one pilot in four said yes to that. Three out of four pilots said, no, I do not perform effectively. Two thirds of the surgeons said, yes, I perform effectively. Even when I am fatigued, I perform effectively. Now, the other one is even more shocking. Um, this is the question. Junior team members should not question the decisions made by senior team members. In other words, your co-pilot. No red teaming. Yeah, no red teaming, right. For those listeners who don't know what red teaming is, it's like playing devil's advocate. And uh, so, again, the question was, in other words, do you want to hear from subordinates? And 57% uh, of pilots said, yes, I do. I'm surprised it wasn't higher. So, I was gonna say, I'm surprised it was that low. Right, I know. Um, but, oh, I'm gonna get the question exactly. It might've said during, hold on. By the way, oh yes. Junior team members should not question the decisions made by senior team members. Here's the thing. Remember with pilots, they have co-pilots and autopilot. 
There are any number of other backup systems going on, right? Um, 97% of doctors said they should not question what I'm doing. 97%. Only 3% of the doctors, one in 30, said, yes, speak up if you think I'm doing something. By the way, if a doctor makes a mistake, eh, maybe my insurance premiums go up. Now, by the way, of course, doctors, you know, they, they don't want patients to be harmed, but they're not going to suffer if they do get harmed. That's a, that's a systemic problem. Yeah. Oh, it's enormous. That's, you know, Peter Atia talked about that quite a bit um, in an episode. I think it actually might've been on sleep with a, with a sleep expert. Um, because he had some experiences in, in residency, like I mentioned. And yeah. Gosh, that is crazy. And I've heard, uh, you know, I've heard Tony Robbins quote that a very similar um, a stat about how effectively it's mistakes that are like the second leading cause of death. Oh, um, hospital error is the third leading cause of death in the United oh, States. Third. Third. The so number one um, is um, heart, can- heart disease. Is it like heart disease, cancer, and then mistakes? Uh, hospital error. Yeah. Not- it's in general hospital error. Hospital it, error. Like if you add in other kinds of mistakes, like car accidents, most, I mean, those are all mistakes. You could say a couple are suicides, but most of them are error. Uh, 35,000 people a year die from, from hospital error. Um, sorry, my bad, uh, from car accidents. Um, and there are all kinds of, you know, life is full of, uh, I forget what number of people die every year um, falling out of their beds. Something like it's, it'll shock you. Like, just like, like, eh. now, obviously many of them are elderly, but like some other people too. I forget. Shoot. There's like a certain number of people that die from coconuts hitting them every year too. Well, we, you know, there aren't many coconuts around, but, but, uh, something like 250 people a year die. Um, one person a day um, falling on a flat surface. Like they trip on the sidewalk, they hit their head, kaboom. Um, you know, they depart this realm. And um, wow. yeah. And so life is full of risks, full of risks. And, and, and the thing about stupidity is we're unaware of those risks. And, and, like once we're in the stupid zone, we become aware of the risks that we're running, which is why when you take the medicine label says, warning, uh, you know, this medicine may mess you up. They don't use that. Mess you up. Uh, don't operate heavy machinery or drives if affected. But that shouldn't be what it says because most people, again, they've done studies who take medicine, don't think they're affected. So the warning label itself is stupid because no one pays attention to it. And uh, really what you should say is if you take this, do not under any circumstances drive a car or operate heavy machinery or doing anything else for the next, I don't know, 24 hours. And yes, that includes even you. Because you know what happens to people is they look at the label and they go, Okay, yeah, I get that for most people, but yeah, not me. I'm, you know, I can tough it out. 
it's maybe the maybe the label should just say don't don't be stupid or hey stupid don't do this you're you're in the stupid zone if you do you're anything definitely in the stupid zone you know here's something um i'll give you a talking on the phone uh, while driving a car, Bluetooth, um, is, is more dangerous than being legally drunk. It's your reflexes are, are roughly that of someone that the Netherlands did a bunch of studies in a few other places. Um, your reflexes are so bad that they were, the, the researchers were trying to find a way to like convey it. And they said, it's like you're, you're, you're 85 years old. It's worse than being drunk. And, uh, but you don't realize it. Again, talking on Bluetooth. Wow. I have clients, even my clients, like they'll call up and ask a question about markets and they'll say, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, uh, you're on the, you're driving, aren't you? And they'll say, How'd you know? Because I can tell within like two or three seconds that their, their attention is split a little bit. It's not like I hear anything. I can tell by the way they're talking. And um, I said, you're driving a car, aren't you? Oh, yeah, how'd you know? I can just tell, um, I'm not talking to you until you get to wherever you're going. And always the response, by the way, even sometimes friends, they'll call up and go, hey, Adam. And, and each one of them always says the same thing. It's okay, Adam. I'm on Bluetooth. Like, yeah, because I, I thought you had the phone cradled under like this, and you're <laughs> driving like this. Like, of course you're on Bluetooth. I'm not talking to you. And uh, it seems like it's okay, but it, it's it. And again, on an individual basis, the odds that anyone that you, Kevin, or anyone's going to get into an accident today is. Um, is really small. I don't know. Let's say it's one in 10,000. Say. And um, with, if you're talking on Bluetooth on a phone, let's say it's actually now up to one in a thousand. It roughly say tenfold. The odds that you're going to get into an accident. And um, now, as an individual, it's still so low we don't notice it. But actuarially, in a country, I could lower the death rate in the United States just by saying no more talking on phones at all. It's against the law. And we'll have your records. We have your phone record. Like we can triangulate. We'll know you were talking on the phone. If you're talking on the phone, it's automatic prison term. And uh, that would actuarially, I'm sure, cut the number of deaths in half. I should get the Presidential Medal of Honor if I could make that happen. I would save, I don't know, conservatively 10,000 deaths a year. So, sorry, conserve 10,000 lives. Um, don't want to conserve deaths. <laughs> conserve 10,000 lives uh, just by that simple thing. By the way, even talking to someone who's in the car doubles the odds of an accident. Again, so you're sitting, your daughter's- 5,000. It says, well, still, right, but it's so small as an individual, you don't notice it. Adam, I talk all the time. I don't get into accidents. Sure, I know that. But as a country, actuarially, you're actually compromised. And as an individual, you don't notice. But your odds are now double. 
that you will get into an accident. Maybe a fender better. I'm not saying you're going to kill anybody, but odds have now doubled. And and I and I'm sure that varies depending on you know whether it's you know the kind of person. Um, and again, all these stats, people go, yeah, I know that's true for everybody else, but not for me. I'm so thankful to have had the chance to sit down and talk with him um, for about four hours. So that's why we broke this out into many different episodes. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Join the Kevin and Fred community, part of EXP Realty and partner with us today. You'll get free access to live trainings two or more times a month, live events and in-person masterminds, digital downloads to help you run and scale your business, and much, much more. To learn more and join our community, visit kevinandfred.com slash contact and contact us today. Not ready to join our community? No problem. Continue enjoying all this great content on our podcast for free.